Welcome back to the FreightWaves Global Supply Chain Summit, or Global Supply Chain Week, I should say. You can't really talk about the future of supply chains without bringing in the question of blockchain. No, we aren't talking about the value of Bitcoin here. This is not one of those discussions. We are talking about the technology that drives Bitcoin, and that is what blockchain is. And it's also known as a distributed ledger. Information does not flow in and out of some supply chain master system. Rather, it is distributed through the blockchain, uh, through stops on the blockchain that are called nodes. Its theoretical value, its theoretical benefit that is a sharing of information to trusted parties in a supply chain and the prospect of a far greater speed in processing of financial information. And that also means a far greater speed in people getting paid. That was always uh, given as a very big advantage of blockchain when it was first considered for supply chains. It would also not be dependent upon just a central authority that might get hacked and disrupted by some foreign actor. That was the theory about blockchain when I first encountered it around 2015, 2016. Uh, blockchain has had about five years or so to show its stuff in supply chains. So we wanted to talk about it today and I couldn't think of anybody better to do it than my old friend, Rana Basu. He is the founder and COO of a company called OnTheFlow, which uh, has focused on bringing blockchain into the oil patch. And Rana is with us today at the Global Supply Chain Week. So Rana, welcome. Thank you for having me. So why don't you talk first about OnTheFlow and what it does? Yeah, so we founded OnTheFlow uh, to essentially look at uh, the order to cash procure to pay processes between vendors and suppliers. And like you rightly mentioned, um, it's about reducing the time that goes for the payment. And uh, when OnTheFlow was started, we decided to focus initially on the logistics aspects of the supply chain. And like you mentioned, in the oil patch, there is a significant portion of uh, logistical activity involved, which is very repetitive. And so on the flow, we started by looking at, you know, what are those transactions that lend themselves to a certain level of automation? And, and you know, in the last 25 years, we've been trying to seek this automation. What can we do to get uh, certainty on transactions and thereby be able to pay for these transactions? And earlier we had EDI technologies, API technologies. I think what blockchain has brought in and what Underflow decided to leverage uh, was that aspect of trust. And so by having an immutable distributed ledger, like you mentioned, what that does is it allows parties to feed in, to stream in data from the field as, as services are being delivered. And what OnDeFlow is doing is locking this data into that immutable ledger in such a manner that we have legally enforceable automation. What that means is that that goal of automation can actually mean, you know, I mean, in, in the last 20 years, we've always had our own AR and AP clerks and their job is to tick and tie information. You know, you said you did this. I need some way to validate. Did you indeed do this and go through that process? And so what OnDeFlow is doing is looking for inputs coming in from devices out of the field, putting them onto an immutable ledger in a fully auditable and transparent manner where the transparency is shared between the buyer and the seller, and thereby we can automate in a legally enforceable manner the various aspects of the transactions that go into building the price, building the invoice, and letting that payment leave. Right. Now, let's point out that the term trust in the world of blockchain is not just like, I trust you because you're a nice guy. 
It is the technology itself that provides that trust, the sharing of information uh, across the distributed ledger that ensures that a player in it, that we know what they're getting, what they're paying, where they are, where their money, not, I shouldn't say where their money is coming from, but, you know, but where their, where the flow of funds and the, their flow of ownership of property uh, has a immutable ledger that proves all that. Yes. And, and I can give you a very simple example. It's, uh, you know, if we are monitoring a tank of oil and then the uh, gauge on that tank of oil says, hey, I need you to send me a truck to take the oil away. And so we can create a request and send it to the trucking company. And that is recorded on the ledger. And now that acts as an order that is not coming from a human being, but from a device. But it can be trusted because it's on the ledger. Then the truck starts moving. We have a device on the truck, which is saying its location. It's giving its timing. And so we can see how many hours were spent on the job, how many miles were spent on the job. And each of these pieces of information in near real time are coming into that ledger in an immutable fashion. Let's say the trucker on his way to the oil uh, uh, tank, there is a tree across the road and he cannot complete the job, still wants to get paid for his hours spent. He takes a picture of that tree and now the location and the picture of the tree are part of that immutable record. And so even in situations which could normally give rise to dispute, we can trust each other because this information is coming in, it's flowing in, in near real time. And so both sides can then trust and validate and it's fully auditable. And so the automation can move forward. Right. So this is very much an Internet of Things type of application. But let's point out, I just, you know, this, this was a when I first started dealing with blockchain and I was trying to get my non-technical head around it, it took me a while to sort of realize that, you know, the kind of thing that you're talking about uh, really could happen now, but it all goes into some kind of central location. Um, that's the, and that's the kind of database that can get hacked and that doesn't have as much trust. The information that, let's say, is coming in through an Internet of Things off the truck now will be distributed through the ledger. And I know that any time when I was dealing with blockchain early on and I was talking to somebody about it, I'd say, OK, how does this improve things over that kind of information going into a central location? That was always the question I asked. So it's always important to point that out, that some of the, that information coming off a truck in an Internet of Things can exist now, but it's the distribution that's different. Exactly. Very true. Very true. And I think what makes it more uh, trustworthy is that, uh, you know, if you think a transaction's value is a few hundred dollars, a few thousand dollars, it creates a huge disincentive for somebody to spend millions of dollars to hack into something and only recover a few thousand dollars. And so by creating that immutable, which is a, a property of distributed ledgers, I think that's what is enabling corporations and, and enterprise adoption really is, is what is improving because the technology natively is so secure and so difficult to hack. And, and like you said, you know, I, if I were operating my database, I can uh, make changes to my database and, and wipe out my fingerprints. Blockchain prevents that and, and makes it very, very expensive to do it. And so I think that's why we are seeing that there has been a gradual shift for enterprises to recognize the differential benefits of making this technology part of their stack. All right, now you and I could have had this conversation, let's say back in 2016, because we've kind of been talking about the theory of blockchain. Talk about the applications, not just for your company, but where else you've seen it being uh, adopted in the, in the blockchain. And then we'll talk about where it hasn't been adopted, the you know, kind of start and stop of this, of this technology. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, the the biggest, you know, you started out by pointing out, you know, cryptocurrencies is the most popular and the most well-known use case. But beyond cryptocurrencies, I think uh, those transactions which are uh, of small uh, uh, complexity and very repetitive give themselves up to a lot of automation. So we've been looking at blockchain for the supply chain, for logistics part of the supply chain, from the perspective of those transactions that lend themselves to validation, electronic validation, uh, in many cases, in some cases, human intervention is, is needed for that validation. And those are the use cases that we're seeing are, are increasing their footprint in the adoption and in the use of blockchain technology. I can give you a, uh, an example being, you know, uh, rail cars leaving a refinery. So uh, again, and you know, it's sticking to the oil patch uh, for, for the moment. And, and you can see that here is another set of transactions that can uh, be relatively well automated because there's lots of metering available, both at the load and where it's being transshipped at the destination as well. There is a series of uh, electronic surveillance mechanisms as a rail car moves through, similar to what we're doing with trucks. And, and you can then see how that could also then be, be expanded onto container traffic. And, and we've all heard about, you know, the experiments and, and, and that Walmart has done and, um, you know, that uh, Maersk has been doing. And so looking at the larger supply chain and, and through our uh, efforts with uh, Bida, you know, your, your sister uh, group, we've, we've been seeing that this, uh, the applicability is not just restricted to a particular, you know, we, we started looking at field services, but field services in the oil patch, you could think of uh, telecom companies sending out crews to repair telecom. Last week, we had a natural disaster here in Houston or in, in Texas. And you can think about all these um, services, you know, whether it's police services, fire services, uh, ambulatory services. Each of these are also field services where, uh, you know, uh, Crews or teams are being dispatched. They need to be tracked. They need to be optimized. And each one of these present a very uh, distinct opportunity for automation, which reduces that friction, allows more, uh, you know, for us, we see we started out doing about four jobs a shift per driver, and now we're at six jobs per shift per driver. So that increased efficiency, if you brought that in the case of a natural disaster like happened last week, now you can see that those impacts being more than just the dollars and cents on the bottom line inside a, a particular uh, company, but being even more in terms of its impact around various field services. And, and then, of course, you know, logistics is just one part of the supply chain. The, I, I remember you know, talking with you in 2016 about uh, you guys' efforts about the quality and tracking quality, tracking temperature on food. You know, all of these other aspects, which are not just related to the quantity, but also to documents related to a, a supply chain, all of those, you know, getting the transparency, getting that visibility, bringing in data science on top of it so that we get some predictability. We could apply it to the vaccine distribution. Yeah, I didn't want to talk about Bitcoin, but there's some, at one point I wanted to make, you know, there's so much talk about Bitcoin. Is it too overvalued? It's so volatile. People bought Bitcoins years ago. They can't remember their password. But one thing you never hear about Bitcoin are two people or two entities arguing over the ownership of a Bitcoin. And why is that? Because the trail that put that Bitcoin into somebody's hand is on the blockchain. It's immutable. And the trust level, of course, is, is as high as it can be. So that's an important point, I think, in driving home 
the, the trust part of it and the shared ledger part of it, that Bitcoin with all the trading, with all the volatility, with all the craziness, you never ever hear of, of a dispute over the ownership of a coin. Absolutely. I think that's, that feeds into all of the trust aspects of the underlying blockchain technology. I think um, when you look at the history of its evolution over the last 11 years, I think we've all been surprised by the valuation, but you're absolutely right. While we have heard about various ways in which people have been compromised at exchanges, the actual chain, the blockchain itself, has never been compromised, at least yet. And and you see the same thing when it comes to Ethereum. And, and I'm, I'm very uh, reassured that more and more enterprises, more and more companies, uh, government agencies are beginning to take notice of that. And, and you know, just to throw some spice in there, maybe we're going to see blockchains that are government-run here pretty soon. You know, I, I, I you and I have talked about this once, I think, about the human aspect of this. And the human aspect of it is that if you're trying to get a company to adopt a blockchain, maybe they do a blockchain just within their own internal operations as a stepping stone to bringing it to a broader audience. But for you to get uh, that kind of adoption, you need to talk to a CEO, a CIO, who's kind of open to this new idea. This is not uh, the human aspect of this and the willingness to kind of take a leap away from the way business has been done for years is pretty significant. So what are you finding out there in terms of acceptance? So, um, you know, we've been pretty focused on the oil patch. And as you know, last year, starting with the Saudi-Russia conflict, which brought down prices, and then with the pandemic kind of uh, creating a huge amount of pressure, there's been a certain um, uh, pragmatic uh, dissociation from emerging technologies. Each company, each of the oil producing companies are on a digitization journey. And in many cases, it has slowed down. There has been, though, the positive impact of the last few months where we are seeing prices coming back to rational levels. There's been a certain amount of consolidation on the service company side, which is, again, allowing companies a little bit of breathing room and space to look at emerging technologies and bringing it back in-house. Um, so in, in that, um, in that, within the oil industry particularly, we did see there was a certain period of time for, you know, six to nine months where a lot of the attention and efforts were reduced and, and there was a lot of cost cutting. There was a lot of uh, elimination in, in terms of resources and people. But um, with the start of this year, I think we are seeing that people are again and, and with the incredible rise in the value of cryptocurrencies, which is making people take a, a, another more direct look at the underlying technology we can see that the adoption journey has picked up again, but you're absolutely right. There has to be a CIO, a CTO, a CEO who decides to sponsor this kind of a step forward. And when you have that leadership support, then it kind of allows the trickle down impact on the absorption of the technology and in beating that inertia. You know, if we have a current process, we have a current investment. And now it, it, that has its own inertia. So to be able to break out of that, having that leadership that recognizes the value, um, you know, I was really, really impressed to see uh, Elon Musk's uh, perspective on Bitcoin having changed so much. And, and you can see a leadership changing and that can drive the direction of a technology and a company. And so we've been working with a few companies who have been coming back to revisiting their digitization journeys and and how they are 
interacting with emerging technologies, data science, IoTs, and blockchain. So the next part might sound like self-promotion here for Freightway, but it's not. It's, it's truly a legitimate question. Uh, and that is that you, know, you can go to a company and they can adopt uh, some kind of blockchain technology for their own operations. But I think everybody realizes for this to really, for you to really reap the benefits of this, it has to be adopted within an industry with counterparties that are dealing with, with each other on whatever sort of, uh, sort of usage. Of course, uh, FreightWaves has uh, sponsored, has set up the Blockchain and Transport Alliance to provide, uh, to ultimately produce standards, which it has done, standards for smart contracts that would allow this to happen a lot quicker, the adoption quicker, and for things to just work on the previously uh, list of accepted, accepted rules and standards. How important are those sorts of alliances in getting blockchain to be adopted to a wider audience? So I was there at the first beta uh, symposium and I've been there every year since. And I think from my perspective, there is nothing that's as important as having standards. It is those standards that will enable uh, adoption and, and it'll bring down that cost of adoption. You know, the question is always who pays? And so it's been our uh, approach to support all of these standardization efforts to support groups like Beta. It is only by bringing together sectors, not individual companies, but sectors, can we unleash that multiple of the value that blockchain and these emerging technologies can bring. So what, let's let's go back to what you're seeing out in the field. I mean, you talked about some of the things that that Omniflow is working on. What are some of the applications, other applications you've seen that have been adopted that you know maybe don't get as big uh, attention as some other things? I know you mentioned Maersk. I know Maersk was very several years ago was looking to be kind of like the primary player in setting up a a blockchain in the in the ocean carrier industry. You know, what are some of the biggest uh, applications that have taken this thing from theoretical to actual? So we are seeing uh, you know people way outside our comfort zone in our industry, in the oil and gas industry, reach out to us. In fact, over the last few months, we've had um, the hospitality industry, hotel uh, rooms, which uh, generally go through multiple parties, seek to uh, gain some efficiencies and trust and uh, by using blockchain. We've seen uh, the music industry reach out to us and ask us to, you know, when a rap artist uh, starts getting small amounts of revenue and that has to be distributed with their collaborators, for example, you know, the, 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 the music writer, the songwriter, the uh, drummer, et cetera, managing those, you know, and monthly there could be $300, $600 of revenue. Having an accountant do that distribution becomes a larger problem. So we've been approached by people outside our industry, and we see this happening more and more where when there are large volumes of small uh, value transactions and automation can be a big help that... Uh, other industries outside of the primary logistics are looking at how they can manage their supply chains, not just the logistics area that we are experts in, and they're reaching out to us and asking us to look into that. So, you know, if someday you see me out there with a rap artist, you know it was blockchain that made that happen. Well, well that and just the fact that you're so cool, but beyond that. But but it, it, I think it's a very important point that this has always been something about blockchain that was touted as one of its strengths is that it can handle small transactions. I remember uh, when I was with uh, SB Global Platts, the first commodity summit we had, or the first, um, you know, we'll call it the blockchain summit we had in London, one of the presenters was going to deal with uh, parking, like, like uh, par you know, like charging stations on the street in Germany, and you would recharge your, your, you would recharge your car there, your electric car there. The problem was that the, the, the amounts of money 
involved to recharge your car for, say, an hour. You know, if you went into shop or something, went into the doctor, you know, it's minuscule. But but somebody's got to get paid. A bank won't deal with it. It's just not worth it. Blockchain could do it. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's say we had the global supply chain week in a, a year from now, online or in person. If we had you back, where do you think we'd be from now? Do you think as we come out of the pandemic, there might be a, uh, as companies turn their attention to the future instead of just staying alive, uh, that there might be more blockchain adoption? I, I definitely believe that we are seeing signs of that coming in. And fingers crossed, I think this technology has now ripened enough and there's enough social acceptance of it that the adoption barriers are dropping. So next year, we should be able to share much bigger adoption stories. And I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you to tell me where you think Bitcoin will be in a year. It could be tough enough. <laughs> well, that <I'll... laughs> no, sir. I'm going to avoid that one. <laughs> it could be tough enough for you to predict where it's going to be in a week. <laughs> right. You know, remember when 300% volatility was considered high? Now we're yeah. in thousands. So I know. It was just outside it. <laughs> when the market first went berserk in, I think that was December 2017, the joke was a father asked his son, son, what do you want for Christmas? And the son says, I'd like a Bitcoin. And the father says, what do you need with a $15,000 Bitcoin? How am I going to afford a $16,000 Bitcoin? And what would you do if I gave you a $17,000 Bitcoin? <laughs> anyway, we want to thank Ron Abbasu of Omniflow, the COO and founder, for joining us today to talk about blockchain in the supply chain. Uh, we hope to have you back at a, at a future FreightWaves event. Uh, I am John Kingston, the editor-at-large of FreightWaves. Thank you for joining us and stay tuned for more of this great event. Thank you.